Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thanks so much again for joining us this week on the program again. And uh, man, I trust you've been blessed. And uh, thanks again for your really encouraging words. And uh, those of you who've sown financially into the ministry to help us keep uh, on the air, we just signed the contract for our fifth year of television. This is our second year on the Church Channel, and uh, wow, we've just uh, really enjoyed coming to your home every week and your calls, your letters, and your Facebook hits. Once again, you can go back to YouTube. If you just simply go to our website at lynnhiles.com, that's on the screen. There's a link right there from our website to our YouTube page. Subscribe to our channel. Uh, you can watch it on your smart device, your smartphone. Uh, you can watch it in your home or on your computer. Uh, a lot of pastors have contacted us and told us that they're, they're using these, these uh, programs on their Wednesday night service to play it and then have a conversation around it. And you, we're, we're not trying to tell you that we're exactly right on every detail. There is such a vast amount of information here uh, to cover that we just hope we're jogging your thinking uh, to at least enlarge and broaden uh, your ability and capacity to be able to see some things that maybe you've not seen before. And, uh, you know, we are constantly evolving and developing our theology as well. You know, amazingly enough, uh, over the years as we piece by piece hear something else, uh, you know, it helps us to put together the pieces. And somebody said, well, what, all, what do you believe? Well, I'm still evolving. I, there are pieces even in the book of Revelation that as we especially get to the latter part of it, uh, that I'm just going to tell you, man, I don't know what it means. There's some of it that are just pieces that, uh, you know, uh, I don't think anybody has a full grasp. We will give you what we think it says, and then you've got the uh, human prerogative to eat the grapes and uh, spit out the seeds. Uh, we've come to a place in our teaching where we're talking about the trumpets in the book of Revelation, and there's some great and wonderful things that we're just excited about sharing with you coming up on program. So please set your DVR. Don't miss one of these because we are going to continue to put them together. But uh, let me just read this to you again from Revelation 8 to give us a place to springboard from. It said, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God. To them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, I haven't got into the sounding of the first trumpet. I'm still laying out what these trumpets are uh, in fulfillment of. Uh, once again, what we are doing is we are using Scripture to interpret Scripture. In other words, when John wrote this to seven churches that were really in Asia during a first century, that the mind of the Jewish mind, if you understand that uh, much of this is written to a Jewish audience who are in the first century, whom God is really uh, giving them a, uh, a way to move out of an old covenant and into a new covenant because Jesus had become the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, and that he had become the ultimate sacrifice, and that they didn't need to offer the, the blood of an animal or the blood of a bull or a goat any longer, that they didn't have that to go through any of that. I think, uh, you know, as you go back and you study the book of Hebrews, it is especially a book written to Hebrews. How do I know that? Because it's the title of the book. 
It was written to Hebrews and probably somewhere around 65 to 66 AD, somewhere in that uh, period of time when they were being tempted and tested to go back to Judaism and what uh, I believe it was Paul, it may not have been Paul, that's not an issue to me of controversy. I believe it was penned by the Holy Spirit. So let's say it like this, it's what the Holy Spirit was trying to say to these Hebrews who were drawing back and under the pressure of their family and friends and synagogues and the pressure of the Roman uh, you know, persecution, the pressure of the religious uh, zealots that were persecuting them, was to go back to Judaism. And the Holy Spirit pens the book of Hebrews and tells you everything about this is better. It's got better blood, better promises. There's a better tabernacle. There's a better priesthood. There's better promises. Uh, he, he tells them that it's better than Moses. It's better than Joshua. Uh, he tells them it's better than angels. Uh, it's a more excellent way, a more excellent ministry. It's a... Uh, everything about it was a... Uh, one of the most profound legal treaties of new covenant truth that I believe you could lay out. I believe that he's dealing with them not to go back. To me, when we come into this eighth chapter and we start to see trumpets sounding in the mind of the Jewish believer, they're not thinking about a fat baby with wings stepping on a cloud tooting a horn. They're thinking about their festivals of trumpets, their feast of trumpets. It is the sounding of the ram's horn. Interestingly enough, you know, we got to get some kind of an idea of what that might have been like because many have brought back, if you will, the shofar and have blown them in services. Uh, many times they blow the shofar having not a clue of what it means. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. I believe it is in Psalm 82. I've got it somewhere in my notes, but I don't want to leave through here to find it. But it says, blessed are the people. This is from the book of Psalms. He said, blessed are the people which know the joyful sound. Uh, if you read that, I believe it is in the Amplified Bible or other translations, it'll say, blessed are the people who know or have some insight into the spiritual understanding of the feasts of the Lord. So the joyful sound was the sound of these trumpets. But what these trumpets were announcing, and I showed you last week, and I probably went like a freight train. I went so fast that, uh, you know, I was just like a steam engine, and I'm trying to be much calmer on this program. But what I showed you in the last uh, program was that uh, uh, you could just take the Feast of Israel and lay it right over the book of Israel. Or not, not, not you could lay it right over the book of Revelation. Uh, you could see the Lamb of Passover in the beginning of the book of Revelation. You can see the sealing of the saints, which is a, you can see the blowing of the fig tree and the sealing of the saints and the sun, the moon, and the stars being shaken in the sixth chapter, which to me is a powerful uh, connection to the Feast of Pentecost because it's the exact language that Peter used when he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sun will be darkened, moon will be turned into blood. Uh, you know, a, you know uh, the fig tree being a type of natural Israel, being shaken by a mighty wind. The wind that came was the wind of Pentecost. It blew away an old covenant and it gave birth to a new covenant. It was about to blow away an old heaven and an old earth and it was about to give birth to a new heaven and a new earth. It was about to blow away an old Jerusalem and a new Jerusalem was coming on the scene. It was about to blow away an old temple and a new temple was coming on the scene. So powerful stuff. But as we move on into the book of Revelation, now we see the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. And what we showed you, uh, especially last week, was that, uh, let me just read from my notes and it'll just make it go a little bit quicker and a little bit more uh, understandable, perhaps. I, I put in my notes, Rosh Hashanah, 
is the Hebrew term for the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Sukkot is the day of the Feast of Tabernacles. All three of these feasts occurred in the seventh month. They were the final feasts that were together in the seventh month. It began with trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. As you see, the latter part of the book of Revelation unfolded. It's a perfect picture because now in Revelation 8 through about, uh, probably about through the twelfth chapter, seven trumpets are going to sound. These trumpets are the feast, I believe, or the festival a fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Just like Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the Passover, just like there came a perfect fulfillment of Pentecost, now we've come to the Feast of Trumpets. And the sounding of a trumpet is not a fat baby with wings, but the sounding of a prophetic sound that's coming through a ram's horn. And we shared months ago on the program that that ram's horn is a message that comes through the death of a male lamb. And so it's trying to show you that uh, for the believer, the book of Revelation is not just coming catastrophes for believers. It is what you've been redeemed from. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. But because apostate Israel did not receive their land, did not receive their redemption, did not receive their salvation, then God was bound by His end of the covenant bargain and uh, was to bring upon them all the plagues that He told them would come in the book of Deuteronomy. And when they stood on Mount Ebal and they stood on, uh, I forget the other mountain, but they began to call the curses upon themselves. As they began to read the curses, people would say with one voice, Amen. And so they agreed to all this covenant and, uh, you know, they, they agreed to all this, uh, you know, curses that were coming upon them. And so these trumpets would sound, and, and let me just read this again from my notes. It says, Rosh Hashanah, of course, is the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Sukkot is the day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets is preceded by 30 days of a season of repentance known as Teshuvah. And, then, and Rosh Hashanah trumpets began then a final 10-day period to end in, on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Now, in the book of Revelation, you will see uh, what follows these trumpets blowing. It's just perfect pictures. You will see seven bowls of blood poured out. That's the Day of Atonement, the Day of the Lord. It's, we'll see that there's inner, uh, in one of the programs that we're going to do, we're going to talk about the different idioms and names for these feasts, and uh, they just perfectly fit. Uh, so you would see the, the, the uh, pouring out of the plagues or the vials of blood as being the fulfillment of the day of atonement. And then you would see the harvest and the ingathering in the end of the book of Revelation as being the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And, uh, but it was given 30 days of the month of Ebal was preceded for a period of personal examination and repentance. And then from the beginning of the first day of the seventh month for 10 more days, it was the high and holy days as they would sound the trumpets. Now, uh, that's a total of 40 days of repentance. I shared in the last program how that, that 40 days of repentance perfectly fits, I believe, with uh, the 40-year uh, operation from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. God gave them almost a day for every year to come to the fullness of repentance, and yet they repented not of their ungodly deeds which they had ungodly committed, and they had called upon themselves the judgments that were coming because they stood there when they cried out, crucify him, crucify them. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. That is the judgments, folks, that's coming in the book of Revelation. That ought to be incredibly good news to somebody because these are not things that are yet in your future. They are things that have been perfectly and completely fulfilled during a first century. 
And, uh, you know, uh, we're just going to continue to unpack that until we can see that. So, uh, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, then they called the curses upon themselves and the people with one voice said, uh, Amen. But in the New Testament, uh, we realize that as we come into the New Covenant, now listen, what I begin to show, and I showed you in the last program, uh, they would say, Cursed be he that makes any graven image. Cursed is he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And the people would say, Amen. And cursed be he that does this, moves his neighbor's boundary. And the people would say, Amen. And for one whole chapter, the people with one voice would say, Amen. It's amazing to me how much, you know, it's amazing to me that people are more quick to say Amen to the curse than they are to the blessing. But we need to shift gears because that's part of the repentance he's talking about here is move from that old covenant judgmental God is angry paradigm into a new covenant and see this new covenant of grace where in the new covenant all of God's promise and all of God's blessings, not his curses, but his blessings and promises are yes and somebody needs to say an amen to that. I don't know about you, but I'm going to come into agreement with it. And then in the book of Revelation, he also says to one of the churches, I am the amen. In other words, he was the final amen to all the curses because God laid on him all of the curses that we had coming. For cursed is he that hangs on a tree so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon not only Jews, but Jews and Gentiles together that we could receive the covenants of promise. And you know what's amazing to me is in the 10th chapter of Revelation, he lifts one hand, the mighty angel does, and he swears by him who lives forever. He's taking the oath of the covenant promises. He opens a little book and begins to declare to them that there will be no more time that would intervene, that there should be any more waiting or delay. Because what was taking place was that was the end of that old covenant, and it was the birthing of the new covenant. He was saying, no more time is going to intervene. This is the end of this. I'm the amen. I'm the faith and true witnesses. I'm the beginning of the creation of God. He's the beginning of a brand new species that he gave birth to in that particular place. I also begin to put in there, uh, you know, that, that when the people would say amen, I said it is interesting to note that the people would say amen to the curses. But in the next chapter, no one says amen to the blessings. In the new covenant in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is the amen of God. In Deuteronomy 28, the curses for disobedience. In the Jewish war written by Josephus, and I've been reading this book now for the last several weeks. I've got it on audio. And it's amazing to me that when you read uh, the writings of Josephus, it reads almost like a commentary on this passage. The great tribulation culminating in the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and the subsequent scattering uh, of the Jews throughout the earth was uh, the definitive fulfillment of the, the curses of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28. With the Jewish mob is screaming for Jesus to be crucified, they invoked the woes of this chapter saying, all the people answered and said to, to them, his blood be on us and our children. That's Matthew chapter 27 verse 25 if you want scripture reference. When the days of vengeance finally came to that generation, they were cursed in every aspect of life in fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28. They were smitten with pestilence. You see that in the book of Revelation. Every sort visited uh, with plague, violence, and oppression. They were struck by poor harvests, economic reversals, the loss of their children. They were besieged by enemies, starved into cannibalism, enslaved and scattered throughout the nations of the world, living in fear and despair. I was reading yesterday uh, in the writings of Josephus, 
of a woman by the name of Mary that during the siege of Jerusalem, the famine had gotten so bad that they would literally pull the food out of their own children's mouths and eat it. But the famine had grown so bad and that the uh, people would come in and literally, uh, uh, according to Josephus, rape and pillage uh, this woman and others as well to take her food that she had an infant uh, child that was born. And she said to the infant child, why do I allow you to live and become a slave like I am? And the writings of Josephus said she literally killed her own son and roasted him on a fire and ate half of her son. And when the soldiers smelled the fumes of this putrid smell of this human flesh being cooked, they came in to see what food she was hoarding. And when they saw this uh, child half eaten, they were absolutely horrified. And there was a story that went out all over the country concerning this woman. And they were so horrified by it, yet they left that other. She offered half of that child to these people, uh, these soldiers that came in, and they were so horrified by it, they just left her have the rest of it to eat. I think that, you know, when we think about how horrible that that season must have been. It really was a fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. There would be great tribulation such as was not since the world began or would ever be again. She literally ate her own child. And that was part again of the curses of Deuteronomy that he talks about in chapter 28. They were scattered throughout the nations of the earth. Moses warned that the land of Israel would become a desolation of the people who forsook the covenant, like Sodom and Gomorrah, a monument of, of, a monument of the judgment of God. That's in fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 22 through 28. Now the generation to come, your son uh, to rise up after you. This is what it says, Deuteronomy 28. Now the generation to come, your son to rise up after you and the foreigners who come from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases, which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, all its land is brimstone and salt and a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zebulun, which the Lord overthrew in his wrath or his anger. In absolute and complete fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 29, 22 through 8, 22 through 28, this fire brimstone that would fall upon Jerusalem, that would literally burn it to the ground, was in fulfillment of his covenant agreement when he said it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it would be for those Israelites who saw the miracles that Jesus did. It is absolutely perfect fulfillment. The seven trumpets of Revelation announce this judgment. It's about to be poured out upon Israel from the rejection of Christ. Uh, throughout this section, there is an eagle cherub that flies uh, crying, whoa, whoa, a reminder, uh, I believe, of the conquering nation warned of by uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, uh, verse 49. Uh, an eagle in uh, the book of Revelation, or, or an eagle, was the banner over the Roman soldiers, as that there is that this symbol of this eagle that's coming to show that God's judgment is coming. It's also, uh, the eagle can also be a symbol of the blessing of God, because there's given to the woman in Revelation 12 the wings of a great eagle. So for the book of Revelation, listen, get this if you don't get nothing else. The book of Revelation is, in a nutshell, curses to the apostate Israels who reject their Messiah and the blood of this Lamb and this new covenant. It's curses that are coming upon them. To the believer 
the book of Revelation is not about the coming catastrophes that you're going to have to go through. The book of Revelation ought to be to you and I as believers a beautiful promise or a beautiful picture, not a promise, but a picture of what we've been redeemed from because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. No wonder there is a worship that erupts in the latter part of this book of Revelation. It's because for believers, this is not what's coming. It's what you've been redeemed from. If that don't make you want to praise God today as you're watching this program, you ought to get excited about that. I know there's a lot of people preaching other things. They're preaching the wrong covenant. I'm sorry, I'm trying to be real sweet about it, but they're preaching the wrong covenant because they're telling you a lot of this stuff that, that, that is coming uh, is in your future, is not in your future. Number one, God cannot do it again in the future because they're operating under the wrong covenant. God never made this covenant with us Gentiles. He made it with the Jews and He kept His end of the covenant bargain in 70 A.D. Now, let me, uh, going down through here, it says, uh, again in Revelation chapter 8, it shows us the two mountains. If you remember right, I told you that there was a mountain uh, of Ebal, and there was a mountain of, I forget the other name of the other one, Gerizim. And one was a mount of blessing, the other was a mount of cursing. On one side, six tribes stood, and they declared the blessing. On the other side, six tribes stood, and they declared the curse. So what I'm saying again is that the curses are being declared here to the apostates while the blessing uh, is being declared to believers. And so Revelation chapter 8 shows us the two mountains again, the Mount of Cursing in chapter 8, which is ignited with a coal from off the altar and thrown into uh, the abyss. These coals are coming from the prayers of the saints and the martyrs of the previous chapters crying, How long till you avenge us? And the Mount of Blessing is in chapter 14, where on Mount Zion the Lamb appears with His army of 144,000 virgins, the remnant or the first fruit of the land of Israel, or the faithful virgins of Matthew chapter 25. These are the faithful virgins that waited on their bridegroom. They're the first fruits unto God. They're the first ones to be sealed. And this is the Mount of Blessing. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be on Mount Zion than I would be to be on Mount Sinai. Or I would rather be on this Mount of Blessing than I would on the Mount of Cursing. And so that's the good side. We, you and I are standing on a better mountain than we've ever stood on before. We're, we've not come to Mount Sinai. Hebrews 12 says, For you did not come to the mount that may be touched. You've not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, Stay away. You've not come to a, a, a mountain that's so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He tells you in Hebrews, you did not come to that mountain. And then he switches gears and says, but you are come to Mount Zion. And you are come. You're not coming to. You are come to the city of the living God. In Hebrews 11, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. But in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, but you're come to that mountain, and you've come to that city. So the city that Abraham was looking for was not a physical city. It was the community of faith. It was the new covenant people of God. It was the new Jerusalem, for you are come to Mount Zion. You already came to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've already come to the spirits of just men made perfect. You've already come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. You've already come, uh, hallelujah, to, uh, uh, you know, an innumerable company of angels. You've come there. So if you've not come to the blessing, uh, the voice of words, and the sound of a trumpet that was warning. The trumpets here are the sound of declaring to them uh, all of the things that you have called upon yourself. His blood be upon us. These are the days of vengeance that's falling upon them. And so, uh, you know, uh, and again, uh, he said, uh, uh, from the Mount of Blessing, um, uh, 
144,000 are on Mount Zion. That's in Revelation 14. Uh, but uh, uh, the central image in this section of the book of Revelation is also uh, the covenant ratification ceremony in chapter 10. I've already touched this where the angel stands up uh, with a rainbow upon his head. I'll touch that in great detail when I get into the trumpets. He lifts one hand and swears by him who lives forever that time will be no longer or that no more intervention of time should be, that there should be any more waiting or delay. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God will be finished. The mystery of God is in Colossians 1.26. It's Christ in and among you, the hope of glory. Another translation says it's Christ in and among all you Gentiles the hope of glory, God including both Jew and Gentile and bringing them into the covenants of promise. And I think that's just a powerful, powerful picture of the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, we're going to try uh, in the next section, let me just touch a few of these, but the names and themes or idioms for uh, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets are as follows. Here's some of the names. Uh, one of the names is Teshuvah, which means repentance. Another name for Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hayden, the day of judgment, for the day that God would set in court and all men would pass before him uh, to be judged, and, uh, and uh, uh, that they would be judged. Three great books were opened during this time, and people were made into balance into one of three categories, according to the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah, uh, that is in 6b of, uh, I believe it is the Talmud. It has been taught that the school Shammah says that there will be three classes on the final day of judgment, one for the holy righteous, one for the holy wicked, and one for the intermediates. The holy righteous are at once inscribed and sealed for life in the world to come, or the age to come, and the completely wicked are at once inscribed and sealed for perdition. The righteous will be protected during the tribulation, the wicked will face the wrath of God. Uh, the average person has until Yom Kippur uh, with the Day of Atonement to repent or his fate is sealed. Also note that there are 12 months in the year and 12 tribes of Israel every month of the Jewish year has its representative month. In the month of Tishra is the month of the tribe of Dan. His month is the sign of the eagle and his name literally means judgment. And his name means God has judged. Uh, God has judged me. Every month of the Jewish calendar has its uh, one of its signs of the 12 signs of the zodiac and this particular month is the sign of Libra or the scales where he has finally said you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting and the end of this judgment is now being executed. They have been weighed in the balance and found wanting and they're about to suffer the judgments. We're out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Tune in again next week and uh, may God bless you richly. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.